Well, tonight we're gonna talk about the gospel. Now that might sound kind of boring, but it's actually pretty exciting. But before we get started, I wanna ask you guys a few questions. Are you up for some interaction? Why are you a Christian? First of all, let me start with how many of you, I mean, I hate doing this, especially with middle school. How many are middle school? Okay. And then how many are high school? Okay, I always hate asking this age because you kind of feel the peer pressure to answer what you think I want you to answer. But I have to ask it as a setup. So how many of you would confidently, really could confidently raise your hand and say, I am a committed Christian. Like, I know what I'm in for. Like, that's me. Okay, good. I'm not gonna make you keep your hands up. So a few confident hands went up. That's good. And, and the ones of you that didn't raise your hands, I'm thankful for your honesty because it's an important thing in your life, right? So for the people who are confident that you are a Christian, why are you a Christian? We'll skip the first person, just go straight to the second person. <laughs> yes. Okay. So why Christianity? Now, you said, because I choose to be, that's really more of that you are, but why did you choose to be? Okay. Grew up in a Christian home. All right, who's next? Yes, back in the back. Oh, either one. You, you. Yes. Okay, I love God, and he's there for me. All right, who else? Way in the back. Green shirt, yes. Okay, so would you say you're kind of in this first group here? You grew up in a Christian home or it's the people around you, the atmosphere you're in? Okay, yes. I said, um, I said, God is the truth and God Okay. Okay, so you've seen. Like changed lives? You've seen changed lives. All right, anybody else? Yes. Okay, so it gives you a sense of peace. All right. We'll do a couple more. You got another one? Okay. <laughs>
Okay, so um, because you can pray, oh wait, I can pray. Okay, because I can pray and know that everything will be all right. Is that a fair assessment? Or he does, he answers your prayers? Would we say, he answers, he answers my prayers. Okay, let's do that. Because he answers my prayers. All right, anyone else? Anyone else got a reason? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I feel loved, and, or God makes me feel, my writing is crazy tonight. God makes me feel loved and accepted. Okay. Anybody else want to pipe in while we're, I want to not fall off this stage right here. Okay. Why are you a Christian? I grew up in a Christian home. I love God and he's there for me. Uh, I've seen changed lives. It gives me a sense of peace because he answers my prayers. Uh, God makes me feel loved and accepted. And other times when I've done this talk, I've gotten answers like I've seen miracles. I've witnessed a miracle or, um, you know, I was a drug addict and now I'm healed and whole, right? And let me start by saying these are all good answers. These are all answers that are true to your experience. But I want you, thank you, I want you to look at this list and ask yourself, could a Mormon give you all of these same answers? Grew up in a Mormon home. I love God. He's there for me. Uh, I've seen changed lives. Uh, gives me a sense of peace. He's answered my prayers. Makes me feel loved and accepted. Those are the same answers Mormons give, right? Uh, what about another religion? What about uh, Buddhists? I grew up in a Buddhist home. I love, well, Buddhists don't really have a sense of God, but, you know, the sense of the universe, and it's there for me, and I'm part of the universe. Um, I've seen changed lives. Gives me a sense of peace. Maybe not so much the prayers, but uh, makes me feel loved and accepted. What about just an AA group? Makes me feel loved and accepted. Gives me a sense of peace. I've seen changed lives. You know, AA teaches you to pray to a higher power. You know, I grew up with people who went to AA. Do you see what I'm getting at? All of these answers, there's got to be a better reason, right? There's got to be something else. There's got to be another reason that we are all Christians in here. Because if it's just a sense of peace we get, if it's just that we pray and then something happens, well, a hundred different things could explain that. There's got to be a better reason. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the gospel, and what I want to do is ask you guys one other set of questions, if that's okay. And then I'm going to tell you why I'm a Christian. Okay. Somebody tell me in one or two sentences, what is the gospel? Think about it for a second. Does anyone know what the word gospel means? Nope. Yes. The word gospel means good news. So when you talk about sharing the gospel, it's a message. So what is the message? What is the good news we have to share with people? Somebody take a crack at it. Okay, God. <laughs> Again, Muslims would give you that same gospel. 
Mormons would give you that same gospel. Um, Hindus would give you that same gospel. Yes. Who died on the cross for your sins? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Okay. What else? Yes. Good. Jesus defeated death. Anyone else? That's it? That's the whole gospel? Yes. How to do what? How to do good, okay. So let's connect some dots here. If you go up to somebody and you say, hey, I've got this amazing news for you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He defeated death. And I might tell you how to do good. Is that the whole gospel? Because they're going to be like, okay, cool. And then what? What happens next? Yes. He's coming back. Very good. Jesus is coming back. You guys are doing pretty good. Now, does anybody have to do anything to take a part of this defeat of death that Jesus accomplished? Or how do you get on on that action? You spread the word, yes? Pray. So connect these dots for me, guys, yes. Well, I'm just looking for more pieces of the puzzle because if you go up to somebody and say, hey, I've got great news for you. Jesus died on the cross. He defeated death. He's coming back. And then they'll be like, great. Okay, thanks. What now? Anybody? All right, we'll take one more. Jesus loves you. That's very good. Okay, we're going to talk about the gospel today. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about worldviews because we can't really understand our gospel, unless we understand, well, you can, but it's more easy to understand when you understand what a worldview is. Anybody tell me what a worldview is? Yes. Right, exactly. A worldview is the lens through which you see the world. Everybody has a worldview. Did you know that? Some people say, oh, I don't have a worldview. Well, they do. Everybody sees the world a certain way, and there are all kinds of different worldviews. And if you aren't aware of what worldviews are influencing you, you're going to catch them without realizing it. And you're going to start thinking things about the world unintentionally just because you're catching it from the culture around you. So a lot of different worldviews, they'll all fall under about four different categories. Okay? So let's talk about the first one. The first one is theist. Anybody know what a theist is? Yes? Yes? Yeah, very good. So this comes from the Greek, theos means God. So theist is someone who believes in God. And for our purposes, this is somebody who believes in one God because under the subcategory of that can be like a polytheist, a tritheist, people who believe in different amounts of gods. But right now we're talking about monotheists. So what religions are theists in the monotheistic sense? Christianity, good, what else? Judaism, and what else? One more. Islam. Yeah. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are examples of theist belief systems, okay? Then there's 
atheist, atheist. So in the, in the Greek here, we got theos, God, a means without. So without God, an atheist is someone who does not believe there's a God. Can you think of any worldviews that might fall under atheist who don't believe in God? Yes. Yes, and what he's talking about is scientism. So there are people that operate through the worldview that everything in the world can be explained through scientific exploration. Okay, yes. Uh, mm, see, I think the Big Bang Theory is one of the best evidences for the existence of God. Because if you read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, bang, you have all of space, time, and matter exploding into existence out of nothing. That's exactly how the Bible describes the beginning of the universe. So I actually don't have a problem with the Big Bang Theory. Now, I have a problem with what they say happened later with speciation and everybody evolving from a common ancestor. But if you just think about the Big Bang, that's kind of good evidence for God. But what else? What's another worldview that's an atheist worldview? Well, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Because they kind of have... They, they, they believe more like in aliens and things like that. So, um, yeah. Uh, I would actually put Buddhist in an atheistic category, some, because there's really not a concept of God in Buddhism. It's, uh, it's you know, Buddha, they don't actually worship Buddha. They follow his teachings, but yes. Uh huh. Yeah, and and so the worldview that's undergirding that theory that they're teaching you is the scientism, and also uh, another worldview called scientific materialism, which believes that the only thing that exists is matter and its movements and its modifications. So that's what's kind of underpinning those theories. And then we'll take one more. Okay, well, let's not get sidetracked on evolution, okay? Let's, let's think about worldviews. So under the atheist banner would be secular humanism, uh, which humanism is, is doing what you can for the good of mankind without God. So it's, uh, there's, there's some things under there too. And then there's uh, this word here, pantheist. Again, theos, God, pan means all. So pantheists believe that God is all, meaning God is the universe, okay? When you hear people say, oh, I, I talk to the universe, I mean, I need the universe to intervene for me or something like that, or Mother Earth or things like that, that's pantheism. That's the view that all of reality is God. Now, there's a subset of pantheism called panentheism that you really need to be aware of because that's the one that's creeping into Christianity a little bit. You might read a Christian book or a blog that talks about God, you know, animating a rock. You know, I went to this rock and I could just feel the presence of God in this rock, you know, and that's panentheism. That's pan all theist, but panen is God is in all. 
Now, of course, as Christians, we believe God is everywhere all at the same time, but he's not contained by any sort of structure or rock or mountain or ocean. He's not contained within that. He's everywhere. And that's, so panentheism would actually deny that he's omnipresent, that he's everywhere at the same time. So some examples of pantheism, anybody? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, like uh, someone who would, would be like um, Mother Nature, exactly. And like some of the Gaia thing that you kind of see with that sometimes. Yes. Father Time, I hadn't thought of that one. Yes. Um, ish, yeah, Buddhism's kind of in here with both of these. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good one too. Did y'all see the movie Avatar? Avatar is a perfect example of pantheism. If you wanna know what pantheism looks like, watch Avatar, okay? So um, theist, atheist, pantheist, and then the last one here is agnostic. Now, the word Gnostic means knowledge. And what is, when you put an A in front of it, what does it mean? Without, so without knowledge. So an agnostic is someone who doesn't know what they believe about God. Or there's two, two types of agnostics, really. So one type of agnostic would say, I don't know what I believe about the question of God. The, the more kind of militant type of agnostic would say, nobody can know. It's not knowable, the questions regarding God and anything really metaphysical. So, to make this kind of a word picture so that we can understand what we're talking about here, let's say we have this amazing, brilliant, beautiful painting, right? This painting is just breathtaking. Okay, and I mean, I'm just saying. So the theist would say, like if, if the painting is the universe, the theist would say, God made the painting. The atheist would say, the painting has always been there and it's just the result of billions of years of erosion and uh, weather and time and it just sort of happened, right? The pantheist would say, God is the painting. And the agnostic would say, I don't know how that painting got there, and neither do you. <laughs> so that kind of makes sense about worldview. So you can see that sometimes these worldviews can creep into what we believe. And Christianity can sometimes absorb some of these worldviews. As I've been talking about this, have any of you thought of even some kind of some time when one of these worldviews in some way kind of crept into what you thought about God? I'm not asking you for a response, but just think about it. Okay, so we asked, what is the gospel? Well, obviously the gospel that we believe as Christians is gonna fall under the theist worldview. We are Christian theists. If you wanna impress your friends, you can say, I'm a Christian theist. And that will make you sound really smart. <laughs> so, to understand, do you, to understand what the gospel is, what historic Christianity is, we really have to go back to the beginning, right? Because the first Christians, what they believed Christianity was, they get to define it. Jesus gets to define it, right? So, where would we get that information? Anyone? Yeah. 
yeah, the Bible is a, is a good idea. There's also some secular sources that talk about what the early Christians believed about Jesus. It was very well known in the ancient world what they believed about him. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Anybody there? I had it marked here and I lost it. Let me get back to it. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 was written by Paul. Now, Paul, of course, was the famous persecutor of Christians, and he was actually on his way, breathing threats and terror towards Christians. He was going to go find Christians in Damascus, drag them back to be persecuted, and hopefully killed. Remember, this is the guy that held the coats for people who were stoning Stephen. Do you all know that story? So this guy was a bad dude. This guy was like ISIS-level bad news. I mean, that's how we would see him now, executing people in the name of God. He hated Christians. Well, of course, he had the experience where Jesus, the blinding light happens, he falls off his horse, and he sees the resurrected Jesus. He is an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. And so he's writing 1 Corinthians 15. Now, he got saved shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, but he had been persecuting Christians for some time. So... A lot of you know, like when we talk about creeds, what do you think of? Anybody? Creeds. What's a creed? Yeah. Okay, a docu. That's a good get. That's a close. Yeah. Something to live by. Can you think of any Christian creeds? Well, not really what they say, but what they're called. Anybody can think of any? Those are not creeds, but that's a great guess. I like that you're thinking. Yeah. The Apostles' Creed, right. Any, and anyone else? Athanasius' Creed, and then the Nicene Creed, right? So in a lot of churches, people get up every Sunday and they recite the Apostles' Creed or they recite the Nicene Creed. And these are creeds. What they are is they're short, pithy sayings that are easy to remember that, uh, that, that show the basics of what you believe, that you can remember it. See, what we have to remember is the earliest Christians... They didn't have a leather-bound, embossed New Testament sitting in their lap when they came to gather together for worship. You know, you get your name put on there and you've got your nice leather and all that. <clears throat> they didn't have that. In fact, the earliest New Testament documents wouldn't even be written until 20 years later after Jesus was resurrected. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't have a Bible. They had the Old Testament and they had what's called the teaching of the apostles, which would later be written down as the New Testament. So they had the New Testament information, but they didn't have a book yet for about 20 years. So what did they do between the time Jesus died and was resurrected and it was written down? Well, they had creeds. So peppered throughout your New Testament, many Christians don't even know this, and it's like one of the coolest things in the world, is peppered throughout your New Testament are creeds that predate whatever book they're written in. So if that, does, if that sounds weird, hard to understand, let me explain it like this. So when I was in middle school, my grandma lived about an hour and a half from where we lived. And so I got to go spend the night with her sometimes, which was really exciting because I got to go all by myself and in a house with 
three sisters, it was really exciting just to have some alone time with my Nana, we called her Nana. And so she was an accomplished pie baker. She would make the best pies. And so one time when I was there, I said, Nana, I want you to teach me how to make your peach cobbler. And she said, okay, well, I'm just gonna teach you the easy version because she didn't feel like making a rolled out crust and all that. And, and so I'm expecting for her to turn to her drawer with her hand crocheted pot holders and handwritten recipe cards, but instead she just recites off the top of her head. She said, cup a cup a cup is what it's called. You take a cup of flour, a cup of sugar, and a cup of canned peaches with the juice. You mix the juice in with the sugar and the flour, you dump that all in a pan with the peaches, top it with pat a whole stick of patted butter, bake it to perfection, and then serve it with ice cream. So I never forgot that recipe. You know why? Cuppa, cuppa, cuppa. Flour, sugar, peaches. And then, you know, you don't forget butter. Like, butter stays with you. You don't have to remember that because that's just like, it would be wrong to not put butter on top of that. But I never forgot it because it was so easy to remember. In fact, I couldn't try to, I mean, I couldn't even forget that if I tried, right? And that, that's 28 years ago. I think. I'm really bad at math, but something like that. So I'm like, yeah, that's, well, probably a little longer than that. But anyway, so now imagine that I'm going to write a cookbook right here in 2018. Okay? So I've got lots of recipes that I've thought of that I'm writing down in this cookbook, but I decide to include my grandma's cup of cup of cup of recipe that she told me audibly with her voice in 1989 or whatever but I include it and write it down in the cookbook that comes out in 2018. So what you're looking at is a recipe that was first passed down in 1989, but written down and distributed in 2018, over 20 years later. Does that make sense? So the information contained within the cookbook. So that's exactly like these creeds are, except you don't get the ice cream with the creeds. But um, in your New Testament, there are all kinds of creeds. Now, scholars can recognize these creeds because of certain grammar devices in the Greek and things like that. But really, the easiest way to recognize if you're looking at a creed is that the writer tells you it's a creed. So in ancient Judaism, when they would, see, when they would say things like, I passed on to you what was delivered to me, that was like ancient slang for, I'm about to tell you something that I got from someone else and they got it from someone else. So in other words, what I'm about to write to you, I didn't make up, I didn't think of it myself. This is something that was passed to me, like that recipe was given to me in 1989, but I'm gonna write it down here for you so that you can have it written down. Okay, is that, are we all tracking with what those creeds are in the New Testament? So what we're gonna look at, now I get really excited about this stuff, but what we're gonna look at is what is arguably, in fact, I, I don't even wanna say arguably because there's virtually no scholar, liberal or conservative, that will argue if you say this is the earliest creed in the history of Christianity. So what we're about to look at is what the absolutely earliest Christians believed. Scholars, even atheist scholars, even liberal scholars will tell you that this creed that we're about to read was formulated and circulated within two to three years of Jesus's resurrection. So within two to three years after Jesus ascended into heaven, this creed was being said among Christians as their core belief. This was what the gospel was to them, okay? So let's look at it. First Corinthians 15, it starts in verse three. So this is Paul, 
He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now notice that he says, he gives that Jewish language, what I received, I passed on to you, right? As a good Jew, all of his Jewish listeners would know, oh, that means I'm about to give you a tradition. I'm about to pass something on to you. But he says, this is what's most important. This is the core. This is the essential belief that you need to listen to. So he's basically saying, listen up, buckle up, because what I'm about to tell you is the most important thing for your faith. Okay? Now, these are the earliest Christians. So he says this, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Now, that's the creed part. And then he goes on and he adds 500 more eyewitnesses, and then he includes himself. Now, what's so interesting about him including these 500 eyewitnesses is he even says, many of whom are still alive. So most of those 500 witnesses that he named in that text were still alive. Now, think about if 500 people were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, and Paul writes it down, but they're still alive. So if it's not true, when they read that, they're going to go, wait a second, you just named me in there, and I no, I was there, and we didn't see that but nobody ever challenged this testimony. And they easily could have because these letters were circulated far and wide from the time they were written. So that's just something to remember about that. So let's look at what does this creed say the gospel is? The first thing is that Jesus died for our sins. You guys nailed that. Now, why is this important? Can I tell you why this is important? See, some of you, you've grown up in church. This is just like, this, you breathe this air coming up in church. Like this doesn't mean anything more than you get it and you think it's great. But there are a lot of Christians today, modern Christians that are saying, this is not true. This is a false gospel. And if you think I'm exaggerating, I'm not. You're gonna encounter it. There are people that will say, this is just copied from pagan culture. This is a philosophy they just stole from Plato and Aristotle. You know, the whole thing, the gods are angry and they want their blood. That was pagan. The Christians got that wrong. We're getting it right now. But remember what I said, the earliest Christians get to define it. Jesus gets to define it. Jesus said he died for the sins of the world. So you can believe a Christian in 2018 that thinks they're the first person to get it right. Or you can believe Jesus and the first people, the people that actually saw his body raised from the dead about what they thought that meant. That's just something to think about, okay? Jesus wasn't killed by an angry mob who just wanted their bloodlust, although that was involved as well. He died as a substitute, right? Like we are all sinners, so much is in this statement. If we're not sinners, we don't need Jesus to die for our sins. Think about it. The Bible says that everyone who's ever lived is sinful. We're sinners by nature. And as you probably know from learning the Romans road, the punishment for that sin is death. So this, that's why this is really good news. Because Jesus came to take on the sins of the world so that you could become righteous in the eyes of God through Jesus. So there's a lot in this first statement. Okay, Jesus died for our sins. The second thing that they affirmed that was super important was the resurrection of Jesus. Now, another reason this is absolutely essential to the gospel is because later in this chapter, Paul ties that to this. 
Now I want you guys to think about something. This is the stuff I get excited about. Remember those answers, why am I a Christian? And all the answers that you guys gave. You wanna know something, whether any of those are true or not, Christianity is true because of an event that happened in history, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul later says in this chapter, if the resurrection didn't happen, your faith is in vain and you're still in your sins. In other words, if this isn't true, then throw your Bibles out the window and do whatever you want because Christianity is not true. So think about it this way. Christianity is the only belief system, the only one that I have ever come across, and I've studied a lot of world religions and cults and belief systems. Christianity is the only religion that stands or falls based on a historical event being true. Later in this very same chapter, Paul says that. It all depends on the resurrection. So, Jesus died for our sins, that's great, but if he didn't come out of that grave, we're still in our sins. So these two are inextricably tied together. So modern Christians, the 28 teen Christians that say, eh, I don't know about that, they also say, eh, to this too. Maybe it was just spiritual. Maybe it was just, you know, something that, I don't know, you know, metaphorical or something like this. What was interesting, I heard a story an African-American pastor heard one of these more modern progressive type Christians say that the resurrection doesn't really have to be literal and he became visibly upset. And he said, if that's true, then there's no justice for my people who were brought over on slave ships, dumped in the ocean, abused. If that's true, if, if Jesus is still in that grave, then there's no justice for that. There's no, there's no healing for that. There's none of that. And he was visibly upset and he's right. Because what this brings to the world is justice, right? What this means is ISIS doesn't get away with it. It's good news. And the good news is we have a choice, right? We can accept this and then be put in right standing with God forever, or we have the choice to reject it. And that's part of the gospel too. But the third thing they believed in this creed, it says, according to the scriptures. They didn't have to say that, but they did. In fact, it says it twice. It says it right after it mentions that Jesus died for our sins, and it mentions it right after the resurrection as well. Both of these events are tied to the scriptures. Now, of course, for them, that would have been the Old Testament scriptures. But what I'm getting at is that historic Christianity, true historic Christianity believes Jesus died for your sins, he was resurrected, and all of this is according to the scriptures. Early Christians had the view that the Bible was the word of God. It had authority, meaning we don't read it and pick what we like and say, mm, I, don't, I don't like that, or I think that's wrong, I'm not gonna go with that. They didn't have that option. Jesus didn't give us that option. He called the Bible the word of God many times. He called it inspired by God, infallible. So this is the early gospel. And of course, the missing piece that we haven't talked about yet is what do you do with this? Because at the end of the world, when Jesus comes back, there will be a final judgment. This is part of the gospel too. There'll be a final judgment. And those who put their trust in Jesus in this life will be with him forever. And those who reject that, and I believe that everybody who God sends to hell chooses that. If they don't want God in this life, they're not gonna want him in the next anyway. 
So they will, be, they will go to a place where they are entirely separated from God. Eternally. It's like a quarantine so that the bad can't touch the good because there'll be no more crying or pain in heaven. Now, I want to close with this because then we're going to go into some discussion groups about this. But I want you guys to think about something. Can you see why the gospel is good news? Because if we're all inherently sinners, this is really good news. But if we're not, then it's meaningless. And so some of those modern Christians, the 2018 Christians will say, you're not a sinner, you're beautiful, just the way you are. God made you perfect and you don't need to think of yourself as a sinner. But we all know that's not true, right? Every parent knows that's not true. I mean, (laughs) every parent knows that kids come out of the womb with like a master's degree in lying, but you have to teach them to be good. You have to teach them to make good choices. They automatically naturally make bad choices. They're selfish. Little kids don't care if you're tired. They want what they want. They have to learn those good things, right? We're all sinners by nature. So we need this gospel and it is good news. So the thing I want you to think about, a couple of things that stood out to me. If this is true, if the resurrection happened, this is such great news because it means Christianity is true whether you feel it or not. It means Christianity is true whether you get the goosebumps in worship or not. It means Christianity is true if your friend gets healed or not. It means Christianity is true if you pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and God doesn't give you what you want for the rest of your life. Christianity is still true. If you have the worst week you've ever had in your life, everything went wrong, guess what? Good news, Christianity is still true. Whether it went your way or not. In fact, people love to talk about the promises in the Bible. If they made an honest promise book, it would be filled with things like, you're gonna be persecuted, you're gonna suffer. The world's gonna hate you like like it hated me. So this is a very big cost. But remember we talked about worldview? You want your worldview to line up with reality, don't you? And if this is what explains reality, then you want your worldview to line up with reality. None of us wanna live outside of reality, right? I want you to talk about how much of this you had already connected for yourself Talk about if you understand it. Um, you know, I don't, you don't have to get too personal if you don't want to, but maybe if you've really grasped this for yourself and, and made this part of your own story by repenting and putting your faith in Jesus.